weekends ago um, when Tom Goodlett was preaching, and he did a great job, I uh, went to see my parents in Indianapolis. My uh, mom turned 82, and my dad turned 84, and their birthdays are like 12 days apart. And so my brother called me six months ago, and he said, I'd really like to have a party for mom and dad. He lives there in, in Indianapolis in the Fishers, Carmel area. And so my sister said, yep, she called me, and I said, will you come? They said, will you come? I said, absolutely. So we had a great celebration for mom and dad, and of course, you know, at 84 and 82, you don't know how many more years like that you have, or both of them will be there, and great, great celebration. And my brother is, um, my brother is an engineer, he's a systems analyst, he has all the gifts I do not have. If you've ever watched the movie by uh, Twins with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, that's kind of us. And Danny DeVito said he got all the good genes, and he said, I got all the crap genes. I just think that's funny. And um, so when it comes to technology and engineering, you know, that's, that's my brother. And so I, and he, he manages like a whole lot of people. It's just incredible. The systems analyst, the brain that he has. And he works for a large company, and they do billions of dollars worth of business. And he's the technician, he's, he's the system analyst over the entire company. And so um, I said to him, I said, what do you do right? What, what is it that sets you apart? There's a lot of geeks, right? There's a lot of people that understand technology, but, but you're like managing all those geeks. That makes you a super geek. I couldn't wait to tell him that. <laughs> And, and I said, um, you're a nerd, you're a geek, but, but what sets you apart? And he was kind and humble, and, you know, I kept asking. I kept trying to peel the layer back. And finally, he said to me, he said, I see the end in mind. Before I ever begin a project, I can see the end of the project. Before we ever start anything in our departments, I can see the end. And I thought that was pretty cool. Because I'm not that kind of guy. I get in the car and just drive. I just go. I'll figure it out as I go along. And my brother, yeah, that's why I got the crap jeans. My, my brother, he, he can see the end in mind. And I, I love that analogy. With, with our communion this morning, with communion last week, with that brand new song, God, God had an end in mind for you. Before he ever created you, he could see the end in mind. And what God had in store for you was so much different than what anybody could ever imagine or ever understand before this. And so we, we, we see that God begins this relationship with Abraham, but like nobody else had the relationship with God. It was kind of like Abraham. Remember all the struggles he had even with his nephew Lot? And so nobody else really like got the whole God thing. It was like, it was like Abraham. And then we go, you know, several years later, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and about 500 years after that, Moses. Moses has this relationship with God, and Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and he gets the Ten Commandments. But nobody else really does. T to be quite honest with you, very few people were able to experience any kind of relationship with God whatsoever. And, and then you see some of these amazing prophets Isaiah, Ezekiel, Elijah, Elisha, and they've got this, this walk with God. Enoch's got this walk with God, but, but quite frankly, nobody else does. 
Nobody else really has this personal, intimate, connected relationship with God other than a few patriarchs, a few kings, a few prophets. And, and, and we realize that wasn't the end in mind. The end in mind is what you and I have today. The end in mind was that somehow, some way, you and I would be holy temples. Now that blows me away, blows you away, but the whole goal, the end in mind when God started before the foundation of the earth was for someday his Holy Spirit to come inside of you and that you would now house his Holy Spirit. You would be the temple. He starts off, the Holy Spirit's kind of in a tent, in a tabernacle. It then graduates to the temple. And once a year, in the Holy of Holies, the high priest would go in on the Day of Atonement. That wasn't the end in mind. That was the wind-up, as she said earlier. I do use that illustration all the time. That was the wind-up. The pitch was, I want to place myself inside of you. Now, I don't know what that does to you. I don't know how that resonates with you. I don't know what that does to your soul. But the whole goal for God was to have what you now have. And that is the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of you and inside of me. The end in mind was this age. The end in mind was for you and I to be hungry and for you and I to be be holy and for you and I to be humble. The end in mind was that you and I would get up every single day and we would work and live and love and do all those things, but we would be like representatives. We would have the Spirit of God inside of us so full and so deep that now we would be able to change our culture and change our environment. God, God had something so in store for us. And now we live in the end in mind. But let's, let's begin, maybe not with the end in mind, let's begin with the problem. And the problem, he tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, was basically this, this sin issue. And sin separated us from our Heavenly Father. So Ephesians chapter 2, maybe pull out your apps if you've got your phone and you're new to church this morning. We have a Harborside app. All this is in there. All this is on there. All the scriptures are there. Download the Harborside app. Turn to this real quickly if you would. And you got all this stuff forever in your phone. And so Paul says, this is the problem. This will keep you from the end in mind. You were dead in your transgressions and your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. In other words, we all get it. We all understand sin. We like it. We're good at it. We understand it. Amen? Right? All six of you. Okay, rest of you retake communion all over again. All right? Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. We get that. We understand that. Now let me go to the end of the chapter. So, because of what Christ did for you, and because of what Christ did in you, so you are no longer foreigners or guests, but rather you are the children of the city of the Holy Ones with all the rights as family members of the household of God. You're now in. You're now in the family because of Christ. 
You give your life to Christ, you are in, you're an heir, and as an heir, you have certain rights to the family. You're a member of the household of God. You are rising like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple. And your lives are being built up together upon the ideal foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets. This is the process. This foundation was laid for you. The end in mind is what he's getting ready to tell us in the next verse. But the process, it all came through the foundation of the apostles. It came through the foundation of the prophets. And you and I now live in the, in the best era of all times. We have more today spiritually than anybody else in all of history. Here's what he says. You are rising like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple. And your lives are being built up together upon the ideal foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets and the best of all. That verse covers 6,000 years. If you feel tired after reading that verse, you should. That's 6,000 years of history in that one little verse. That's the wind-up. Here's the pitch. And you are connected to the head cornerstone of the building, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself. So you're, you're connected. Now, here's what he wants you to do. This entire building is under construction. That's you. You are under construction. All of us in this room know we've not arrived. All of us in this room know that we're not perfect yet. But we know that we are under construction. The entire building is under construction and is continually growing under his supervision until it rises up, completed as the holy temple of the Lord himself. That means that God is transforming each one of you into the holy of holies. That's God's intention. The intention is that God's spirit will now reside inside of you as you are under construction. You are being built into a holy temple. It was always God's design. The end in mind is for his spirit to live inside of you. And I'm coming to why in just a minute. But you are this holy temple. You're like this building he's fitting together. The cornerstone, the apostles and the prophets are the foundation through the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives in you. And you and I are the first generation, the first group of people after the ascension of Christ who ever now get to have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We now house the Holy Spirit of God each and every day. Now that's amazing. That's jump a pew, slap your mama right there. That's amazing. That's amazing we live in that culture today. A couple other verses just to support that. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So inside of you, the Holy Spirit has come to overwhelm your human spirit and tell you that you are a child of God. John chapter 14, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and will come to him to them and make our home. Don't miss that. God has always had it the end in mind is to make his home with you. And so you say to me, well, I don't think I qualify. Do you know what I've done? Do you know where I've been? Do you know what I've said? Do you know my struggles? Do you know my sins? No, I don't. And I don't have time to hear them all. Okay? But it doesn't matter, because in Christ, you are now a new creation. 
And the whole point is not how good you are or how bad you've been. It's how great Jesus Christ is. And it's the blood of Christ that cleanses you and me from all unrighteousness and then qualifies the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. And so it doesn't really matter if you don't feel qualified. Your Heavenly Father says you get a job promotion. Your Heavenly Father says you are qualified. So let's jump in now to our main text, which we're going to do this week and next week, okay? Ephesians chapter 3, and here's verse 14. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. There's something about being hungry, And there's something about just being humble. And and when you lose that hunger, and when you lose that humility, the the success and the progression just stops in life. And so here's what the Apostle Paul is saying, that he's made tremendous progress. He's got incredible spiritual success, but he's still kneeling. And so I I want to just pause for just a second and give you a progression that will help you or will stop your growth. Either way, this is a true progression, and whether or not you continue in this progression will really determine how successful you will be in life and and spiritually in in general. The first part about this is is there has to be like a hunger. There has to be like a hunger for God. I, I hunger. I want God to be in my life. I hunger for truth. I, I'm not going to be religious. I'm not going to be trying to be self-righteous. But, but I, I have a hunger. I have this holy hunger for God in my life. And when you have the holy hunger, it truly leads you to kneeling. It leads you to humility. And, and when you get the hunger, the hunger like goes, man, I wish I could. I wish I could be more. I wish I could be greater. I wish I could grow. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. And so this hunger leads you to this to this this incredible, overwhelming sense of humility. I, I'm just kneeling before you. I can't believe you chose me. I can't believe you saved me. I can't believe you forgave me. I am overwhelmed. And then that leads to breakthroughs. Once you're hungry, you have this humility. It leads to all kinds of spiritual breakthroughs. And you begin to grow and you begin to mature. And there's, there's breakthroughs in life. And that leads to success. At the point about success, what you do with your success will determine whether or not you go back to being hungry and go back to being humble and go back to being breakthroughs. Because there's something that happens with success. When success enters your life, something gets dialed up with success. And you know this. Because you got the promotion, or you got the job, or you hit the number, or you got the deal, or all of a sudden <clears throat> you got the scholarship, or you made the team, or you, you, got the, you made the cheerleading squad. There's something that gets dialed up with success. And when success comes, what you do next will determine on whether or not you just kind of like top out and level out, or whether or not you will keep growing. And some of you have stopped growing. And some of you have stopped progressing because you got successful. You got the degree. You got the education. You got the house. You got the marriage. You got the job. You got the kid. You got the money. You got the retirement number. Some of you have hit that number and you're no longer hungry. And God is saying to you, all right, 
all right, that's where you're at. I'll let you stay there. I'll let you top out. I'll let you level off there. But the goal for Christ inside of you is that you will remain hungry. What can I do? What can I change? Who can I impact? What more can I do? Who am I to serve today? But there's something that gets dialed up with success. And what gets dialed up with success is ego and pride and all kinds of things that are just not, I deserve it, I've earned it, look at me, look how great I am, I'm not going to be hungry, I'm certainly not going to be humble. That person's offended me. I got power and money. I'm going to run right over them. And it all depends on whether or not you stay hungry. And the Apostle Paul, I think the greatest Christian who ever lived outside of Jesus, says, I kneel. I kneel. I've planted all these churches. I've written 13 books. I've impacted more Gentiles than anybody could ever count. And for this reason, I kneel before my Father in heaven. Do you have that hunger in your life? The end in mind was not for you to have breakthroughs for you. It was breakthroughs for your family, breakthroughs for your culture, breakthroughs for the people you work with. The whole goal was for you to be hungry and for you to stay humble. And then God will continue to elevate you and expand your territory. Just get cocky and see what happens. You know what happens. You've done that. And all of a sudden, then there's a little bit of distance between you and God and distance between you and the other people that you should be influencing. And you're wondering, why is that? And, and the reason is you, you've, you've lost that holy hunger. And then when, you, when you're no longer humble and you think that you've done it or you've earned it or you've... Now, you put the time in. You went to school. You got up early. But I love what James says. Every good and perfect gift comes from the heaven. Who gave you your gifts of money? Who gave you the gifts of numbers? Who gave you the, your gifts to work with people? Who gave you the gifts of administration? Who gave you the gifts of engineering? Who gave you all those, the brain that can think through systems and, and technology and engineering? Your Heavenly Father. He gave you all those wonderful gifts. And so Paul is saying, I, I'm never going to stop kneeling. I'm never going to stop being hungry. I'm never going to stop being humble. And the, the, the way I see this in Scripture, and the way I've personally experienced this, is every time I stay humble, I stay hungry, I get breakthroughs, there's success. Every time there's success, you stay hungry, you stay humble, you get breakthroughs, it leads to success in all different kinds of areas. And what you do with success will determine whether you keep going or whether you just kind of level off and you just... You just top out in life. So he says, for this reason, I, I kneel before my Father in heaven. And he says, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. And we'll talk about that more next week because it's the Gentiles and the Jews that are finally going to be getting together. And we'll talk about some mystery next week. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, why? Why does he want to strengthen your inner being? Because for you and I to be the end in mind, we got to have strong spirits, really strong spirits. And strong spirits don't get offended, and strong spirits don't get worried, and strong spirits are teachable, and strong spirits are hungry, and strong spirits are, are really holy, and, and strong spirits. So he's trying to strengthen you inside. 
Because when he strengthens you on the inside, you have more skill, more power, more ability, more opportunity to influence everybody around you. You see, the end in mind for God was not just that you have a little bit of success in life. The end in mind with God is that you would be successful for him every day, every environment, every conversation, every text, every email, every business deal, every day in the classroom. That's the end in mind for your Heavenly Father. It's completely different than the world. So I pray. So he wants you to have what? He wants you to have power. God wants you to have power. He wants to make you strong. His goal is to make you stronger and stronger and stronger. Verse 17 says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Remember, you're that holy temple. You're those stones being built, being raised up, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, let me say this again. Every single person you talk to, you can influence. Every single environment you go into, I don't care how dark it is, by the power of Christ living inside of you, the Holy Spirit has the opportunity to influence and impact every conversation, every person, every situation you you go into. I think we forget that. The dove is on our shoulder. The Holy Spirit's inside of our hearts. We have the opportunity to change our culture. You go, ah, you can't change my family. Really? Do you know my family? Have you been to my family reunions? No, I haven't. I'm not coming if you invite me. (laughs) I got my own family reunions. I got my own crazy family members that I'm trying to, to influence. And if you don't know which one the crazy one is in your family, it means it's you because you haven't figured it out yet. So it's, it's, if you haven't figured it out, you're the crazy one, all right? Every family's got crazies. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to give you power. Christ's going to dwell in you through faith. And this is what happens as you get stronger. Your faith grows. What, was it, what happened the first time that you actually forgave somebody? How did you feel? You actually forgave him. You've never forgiven anybody, but you read a you know, sermon about Jesus and you came to church or whatever and you heard you were to forgive somebody. How did you feel the first time you forgave? How did you feel the first time you served? How did you feel the first time that you loved somebody that was unlovable? How did you feel the first time you were patient with somebody that really didn't deserve your patience? Your faith began to what? Swell and grow. How'd you feel the first time you took the plunge and gave a gift to somebody or something? Your your faith, your faith continues to grow and grow and grow. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Now, I I love that word rooted. And I just want to show you that this is a tree. Isn't that a big tree? That's a tree in Echo Cave, South Africa. It's called a wild fig. And this tree actually has the deepest root system of any tree in the world. This tree's roots go down 400 feet. And here's a tree, here's that same tree, side of a mountain. Just wanted to show you that guy right there to kind of give it in perspective. That's that echo fig tree. He talks about you being rooted deep, deep in your faith, strong roots. This tree's roots go down 400 feet. It's awesome, isn't it? Now, you compare that to these trees right here, the Sequoia Redwoods, that are 350 feet tall. They have roots of 10 feet. 10 feet. That's amazing to me. You get a redwood by itself, you and I could probably just about push it over or knock it over with our cars. 
but the redwood trees, their roots go out and they intertwine with one another and they're all like interconnected with, with each other. And here's what Paul is trying to say to us. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that your roots go deeper and stronger, deeper and stronger, deeper and stronger. And here's what happens when you do that. You, fi- you figure out his presence. It's the presence of Christ. You have the power of Christ. You have the presence of Christ. Verse 18 says this. You may have the power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ. Now, I don't know why, but we all struggle with feeling loved. We all do. I'm not really quite sure why all the time, but we do some of the silly things that we do because we don't feel loved. The most obnoxious things you've ever done were at moments where you didn't really feel loved. And you did something really kind of foolish and really something immature and something that you wish you wouldn't have done, shouldn't have done. But, but really, most of our sinful and most of our obnoxious behavior comes from a feeling like we, we don't really understand that, that we're loved. And I can't help you with this. I can tell you that if God had your picture, it'd be on the refrigerator, his refrigerator. I can tell you if God had your picture, it'd be in his, if he had a wallet, it'd be in his wallet. I can tell you all those things. But, but honestly, every one of us has to get alone and figure out whether or not Jesus really loves us. And I think that's hard to do because we don't like to turn off the TV. We don't like to turn off the radio. We like noise. We don't really want to be quiet because in those quiet moments, we're afraid that maybe he'll tell us, that he'll whisper to us that he doesn't love us. But my encouragement is turn everything off, spend some time alone, and just ask him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Paul says, I, I just, I'm hoping that you can grasp like the width and the length and the depth of this amazing love that God has for you. And that's perception. How do you perceive God loving you? And Ephesians 3.19 says, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now why? Why does he want all this? Why does he provide all this provision? Why does he continue to provide for you mercy and grace and forgiveness and encouragement and support and people and systems and church people that come along? Why does he do all this? My friends... <clears throat> You have an opportunity to impact people that nobody else does. You have an opportunity to impact environments and cultures that nobody else does. And depending upon your faith, according to your faith, it will be done. If you don't believe that people in your family can ever be saved, they probably won't be. If you don't believe that people in your, in your um, workforce, in your workplace would ever receive the scriptures or would ever receive the word of God, that they probably won't. But isn't that Jesus' prayer? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And isn't it heaven's desire that all these people would know Christ and all these people would respond and all these people would repent and all these people would turn and all these people would be helped? It is heaven's goal for you and I to help all of these people. So what does he do? He puts his spirit inside of you. 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 And every one of us that are Christians, 
We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us to change the world. And so you begin by changing your world. Here's what he says. Let's just reiterate this. You are rising like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple, and your lives are being built up together upon the ideal foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets. And best of all, you are connected to the head cornerstone, the building, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself. The entire building is under construction, is continually growing in his supervision until it rises as completed as the holy temple of the Lord himself. This means that God is transforming each one of you into the holy of holies, his dwelling place through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. This man wrote a story, and I want to read this real quickly to us. And um, he's, his friend has cancer. And so he's going to write to his friend and, and, and tell him to keep fighting the battle. And the, the whole point of this little story is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And so he said, I had a friend of mine <clears throat> text me from Mobile, Alabama this morning. His daughter got married last weekend, and as she was leaving to go off on her honeymoon, from a distance he could read her lips. She was saying, where's Dad? Where's Dad? Has anybody seen Dad? So I went over to her. He said he went over to her, and she handed him a note. And she hugged him and she left. And he opened up the note and the note said, Daddy, I love you. And then the note said, basically, was it worth it? Was it worth it raising me? Was it worth it when I went off to kindergarten? Was it worth it when I went to elementary school? What Was it worth it when I scraped my knee? Was it worth it when I got braces? Was it worth it when I... And so he said, the girl was smart. And the father said to me, from the maternity ward to the wedding chapel, he said, it was worth it. And then he said, I had to do this little talk, and I was going to this place called Kids Place over in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I had to fly in, rent a car, and after I picked up the car, I drove to Kids Place, and they said, oh, we didn't know you were coming. I went to another building, they said, we're sorry, we didn't know you were coming, we're having an audit today. I finally got the guy who was supposed to bring me in, he said, oh, I forgot about it. It was a hellish day. I like when you can cuss in church and kind of get away with it. <laughs> the, whole, the whole school, kids' place, is for kids that are challenged or troubled. They told them at the end of the day as they were going home, they should stay on campus. They had to stay on campus because they weren't going home. You are not going home. You're going to listen to a motivational speaker. A couple hundred kids didn't get to go home. They had to come listen to me. He said, that went over well. I gave my talk, and I talked about forgiveness. But a girl came up to me when I was done, and she said, I didn't want to come to this. I was so mad when they told me to come. I'm at Kid's Place because I was shot by a drive-by shooter. He shot me in the chest. I don't know who he is. I was just standing on a corner, and he shot me right in the chest. I've been so angry ever since. And she said, this is the first good day I've ever had since I've been shot. I'm going to go forgive him. Everything I went through that day, he said, it was worth it. Had another friend that texted him. She said, I've got a little dog, Charlie. I'm crazy about this little dog, Ella, a little Yorkie. I tell you, I'm nuts about this dog. When I went to get it, a friend of mine, Patty, said, don't get the dog. I said, why not? Because the dog will die and break your heart. Patty was not an optimist, I don't think. (laughs) And she's right. The dog will die. But did you know that love has a price? It's called grief. You never have to have a broken heart. How? 
just don't love anything or anybody. My dad went to the South Pacific, he wrote, and fought during World War II. He saw a lot of awful things and then came home and drank his life away, to be honest with you. He sat on a bar stool thinking about all the things that happened and grieving most of the things. But I got him to a psychiatrist, an army psychiatrist, and he returned to church. The last 15 or 20 years of his life was pretty good. And every once in a while, I'll have a moment when I think, man, I wish my dad were here. And every once in a while, I don't know if this makes sense, but I sure miss my dad real bad. Yet I feel good missing him because I know that's the price I paid for loving him. And he told his friend, you've got cancer. You've moved people. You've become friends with children who have leukemia. You inspired a city. Remember that? You've loved people and now they're gone. Was it worth it? There's always a price. There's always a price. But you see, Charlie, I like a life that has highs. That means I'll take the lows. I hate the middle. You have to choose the life that you want. Losing games, losing job, losing friends and loved ones, all those things are tough. But was it worth it? Was it, was it worth it? And I think that's the question that you and I have to decide. Is it going to be worth it to go all in? If I go all in and I really let God build this temple inside of me and I really become a spy and a missionary everywhere I go and if I really become sold out to Christ, will it be worth it? Will people ridicule you? Yeah. Will people make fun of you? Yeah. Will you be misunderstood? Yeah. Will people reject it? Yes, they will. But how many people can you help? How many people can you motivate? How many people can you inspire? How many, how many cultures and, 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 and just environments can you come into and just change forever? And that's the goal. That's the end in mind. I'm going to ask my team to come out. I've got a song I want them to sing. It's called Temple. And they wrote this song, and this song is the whole reason that you and I are now in existence in the church age. And in this church age, it is our time to be this holy temple. And so I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow to you. I don't know who you're going to encounter tomorrow. I just know you're going to encounter people. And I know God has a mission for you. And and I'm asking you, as we get older and mature and grow, let's stay hungry. Let's stay hungry. Why wouldn't we stay humble? We didn't do it. He put his spirit inside of us. Let's have these breakthroughs with our family, with our friends. And then, yes, there will be all kinds of success, and the cycle starts all over again. We just stay hungry. We just stay hungry. Let's sing this song together.